Hi there and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 15. We've been talking the last few weeks about what it's like to have unbroken faith. Because the truth of it is, is we all come to God broken, but He doesn't want us to stay broken. He wants to repair us, to bond us, to put us back together, to place us in a, in a state that is better than we once were. Did you know, if you break your arm or your leg, which I don't recommend, but the truth is, where it was broken is now stronger than where it was not. So the life of unbroken faith is not a life that's never failed. It's a life that never stayed in failure. Failure is an, exi- is an, is an event. It's not who you are. So the unbroken faith, the unbroken life of faith is a life where God begins to repair you. And it starts by learning your purpose. Everybody say purpose. Purpose. Your purpose is very important because if your purpose is not greater than your past, your past will draw you in. You have to keep your eyes focused on what God has called you to do because what he has called you to do is far greater than what he has rescued you from. In other words, you have a great big windshield and a little bitty rearview mirror, and if you get that in reverse, you start paying more attention to what's behind you than what's in front of you, and what you came from begins to draw you back. The next thing is, is if you're going to have unbroken faith, you've got to begin to get some priorities. Everybody say priorities. Priorities Priorities are very important because our priorities as Christians must begin to align or line up with God's priorities. If our priorities do not line up with God's priorities, we begin to uh, fizzle and fade. In other words, what's important to God should be important to you. Next, when God gives you a vision, you're going to need some provision to accomplish it. So you've got to figure out how to get heaven's resources involved on your behalf and not just finances. I mean heaven's resources. Heaven's resources are limitless. He can give you a peace that will surpass everything you ever come in contact with. He can have a a love come in your heart that makes it where even when people talk ugly about you, you still have love just bubbling up on the inside of you. He can give you a joy that can become your strength in difficult times. There There is a different level of life whenever your purpose begins to align with God's, whenever your priorities begin to align from God, align with God, and then all of a sudden your provision begins to come from heaven. You stop looking at what you have as all you'll ever have, and you start saying things like this, my God shall supply my needs according to his riches and glory. And then all of a sudden you begin to have a boldness that could never be in your life. But all of these things pale in comparison to the topic I want to talk about today. I want to talk just for a few minutes about the thing that is the most important concept to our God. The thing that is more important than anything else when it comes to who God is and what He is about. The number one most important thing that's ever and always on the mind of God 24 hours a day, 365 days, uh, 365 days a year, seven days a week. God is constantly thinking about this. He's thinking about it when you're awake. He's thinking about it when you're asleep. He's never not thinking about this one topic. 
people. He cares about people more than you care about anything in your life. He cares about people more than could be written about in thousands of books and pieces of literature. He cares about people more than can truly be comprehended and the only way to even get a glimpse of the under, on the understanding of how much he cares about people is to see and to remember what he actually did in an effort to ransom people, to ransom humanity. In other words, he did not see humanity as a calculated loss. He saw humanity as something he was willing to give his most prized possession in exchange for, the life and the blood of his only son. The one who he is so close to that Jesus said, if you know me, you already know my dad. He said, if you say you know my dad, but you don't know me, you do not know my dad. They are inseparable, yet they are manifested separately at times. The Holy Spirit is the other part of that beautiful three-part Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's job is to draw people unto God because God cares more about people than anything you could ever imagine. Even the people you don't like. Even your neighbor whose dog barks at 10 o'clock every single night. Praise the name of the Lord. (laughs) Even your crazy cousin who never had one good thing to say about you. Even the family you married into that's constantly pointing out the barbecue sauce on your shirt. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Jesus cares more about people than anything that has ever been. Luke chapter 15 says this, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. The publicans were like tax collectors, but most of the time in our Bible, they were referenced as publicans or tax collectors because they were typically crooked. Their tax was not a percentage. Their tax was they would walk up and see how much money you had in your hand, and then they would determine how much they were going to take out of your hand. They would walk up to your boat. If you had a, a, a boat full of fish, they would determine how many fish you're going to give them that day. And then they would take and they would render unto Caesar what was necessary to satisfy Caesar, but then they would pad their own pockets. So the tax collectors doesn't necessarily mean they work for the IRS because there's some really good people that work for the IRS. These were people that were generally corrupt, which is why they are referenced this way. So the publicans get this and the sinners. Somebody say sinner. The sinners were drawn to him. What is it about Jesus that causes sinners to be pulled towards him? I I wonder if the answer to that question is not found in what it was like when we first met him. Do you remember how you felt the first time you began to believe that Jesus would actually save you? Do you remember the burning in your heart when you uh, uh, found out that Jesus died on a cross and gave his life for you when he could have called legions of angels, the Bible said, to stop the entire thing? He literally stayed the hand of the angels and gave his life for you and for me. 
When you begin to remember the burning desire that was placed in your heart, the opportunity to be forgiven. Because there's a plaguing thing that plagues humanity. It's guilt and and condemnation. We feel guilty about what we did. We feel guilty about what we didn't do when we should have done something. We feel guilty about having not walked away soon enough. We feel guilty about having walked away too soon. We feel guilty about what we said when we were angry. We feel guilty about the fact that we didn't say it when we felt it. We feel guilty about so many different things. And then all of a sudden, here comes this Galilean Savior that will offer you the opportunity to have that guilt exchanged for peace that passes all understanding. They were drawn to him. Not because he was ready to chastise them Not because he was ready to throw them into utter despair, but because he was willing to exchange his life for theirs. It sounds like an equation or an opportunity that nobody could turn away, but it seems to me that religious people can have a problem with Jesus even when there is no problem with Jesus. Verse 2 says, The Pharisees and scribes, that's the religious people, They murmured. Somebody say, that's not me. That word murmur might be translated in your Bible. says they were complaining. They said, this man welcomes or receives sinners and eats with them. I have found that sinners are some of the best cooks. (laughs) When you spend all day cooking something, you get pretty good at it. Jesus was around people, he would say stuff like this. He would say, healthy people don't need a doctor. And he would go and he would try to find people that thought they had no chance to be close to God. And then he would make a way. He would make a conversation. He would begin to tell them how he can help them and will aid them all for an exchange of give me your life. Give me your wretched life and I will exchange it for a glorious life. I will change all of your future. I will wipe away your past. I will exchange it for you. And sinners were drawn like a moth to a flame. And religious people said, huh, why is he always hanging out with sinners? They murmured. They complained. You want to know the quickest way to know if you're religious? And I understand that the word religion is not like a bad word in general. But what I'm specifically meaning is there are dissecting attributes when it comes to a relationship with Jesus and a religious following of Jesus. When it becomes a religious following and the relationship fails, now all of a sudden you end up doing nothing but seeking to control people with statutes and doctrine that may or may not be accurate. Religion tries to control and relationship tries to set free. I don't tell Crystal, you better not go have dates with other guys. We're in relationship. I don't have to say that. Praise the Lord. She is in relationship with me. We long to be with one another. And this is what Jesus offers. He offers a relationship. But religion will always do one thing and will do it very, very well. Religion will always complain. The soup's too hot. There's too much salt. The the tea is too cold. The lemonade doesn't have enough sugar. Religion will always complain. 
you're making it too easy to get to God. How hard should it be? Because he died on the cross that was meant for you and me. How difficult should we make it? Do you remember the great Billy Graham who just recently uh, crossed over and graduated to heaven? He kept with the basics of the gospel for his entire ministry where he would preach the blood of Jesus and the cross of Calvary and how it would set you completely free. And many people, great high thinkers in religion, would make comments so that he's just making it too easy. He's making it too simple. And all I could think about is how can it be too simple to get to God? Sinners were drawn to him. They were drawn to him because of the same burning sensation that comes in your heart even as I am speaking now when you begin to be stirred on the inside about the unbelievable love that a creator can have for his creation, that he would willingly die. What other king have you ever heard of that would step off of his own throne and lay his life down? This is the greatest opportunity on planet earth or any other planet for that matter. The Bible says that The sinners loved the idea of Jesus coming close to them, but religious folks hated the idea of Jesus drawing close to them. So when all this is happening, Jesus begins to tell a parable. Verse 4 says, What person has a hundred sheep, and if he loses one of them, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? Number one, if you're taking notes, don't limit God. Your loved one will be saved. Jesus said he will leave the 99 and pursue the one for how long? Until he finds it. You might have friends or family or nieces or nephews or children or grandchildren or your husband or your wife that's not serving God, they're not trusting God. I'm here to tell you that the author and the finisher of your faith is right on their heels because he looks for them until he finds them. He chases them down and pursues them. Do you remember what it was like when you gave your heart to God for the first time? You could say, I found God, but the truth is you really felt like he found you. That's because the moment that your grandmother, your great-grandmother, your aunt, your uncle, your teacher, the coach, whoever it was that met you and saw something on the inside of you and chose to believe God on your behalf, now all of a sudden your name got sent into the heavens and the Bible says those prayers are like perfume in the nostrils of God himself and he begins to remember your name and hear your voice and all of a sudden he says, Jesus, there are 99 that are saved but there is one that has gone astray. Son, you better go get them and Jesus leaves his throne, falls into your situation and begins to pursue you. Not until he's tired of pursuing you but until he finds you. You see, this God that we serve offers an opportunity that cannot be duplicated, that has never been replicated, and when you choose to follow after it, totally changes not just your life, but every dynamic of your family. He says this, he says, he looks until he finds, and when he finds, the Bible says, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. 
He goes and he pursues the sheep. And, and, and the first thing he does is he, he goes and he's walking through the wilderness to try to find the sheep. And as soon as he finds the sheep, he begins to chastise it for everything it's done wrong. He begins to make it feel terrible about all the things that it said that offended him. He begins to tell it about all the mistakes that it made and begins to read every mistake over it and holds those mistakes over its head and makes sure that it knows, I forgive you, but I'm holding all these mistakes over your head. The Bible says he takes the sheep and you have to picture this sheep. The sheep has been missing now. There was a hundred sheep. The sheep were safe when they're together, but now all of a sudden there's one that got lost. And a lot of times, I personally have had sheep, I've had goats, I've had all kinds of animals, Praise the Lord. But sheep don't get lost just when they want to. Sometimes they just get lost. Sometimes they just sidestep. They just go left when everything else went right. They just see a field of clover and they think, oh, I'd like some clover. They weren't necessarily trying to get away from the other sheep. They just took a wrong turn. And all of a sudden they look up one day and they find themselves completely surrounded by things that do not want to do them well. Could you imagine this sheep, an unknown amount of nights, sleeping in the wilderness, hearing the cries and the howls of the wolves, the wolves smelling the fear, the wolves sensing that there's something here, and the sheep having no good sleep at all because it's constantly having to sleep with one eye open to try not to get bit. Maybe it had been bit once or twice. Maybe it had scars on its legs. Maybe its wool had been torn off. Maybe it had trouble to find somewhere to drink. Maybe the sheep had spent day after day walking, falling in holes and pitfalls and cliffs and trying to find its way around, wandering through the wilderness all the, all the time, wondering, why did everybody leave me? Or oh, maybe you've never been there. Maybe, maybe, maybe you, maybe you were born holy, but there's a lot of people out there that they're thinking, how come nobody cares about me? And they have no idea that Jesus is pursuing them even into the depths of their own poor decisions. So many times we think of Jesus as the risen Savior and sitting next to the right hand of the Father, and He is, but your Bible says right there, the moment and the instance that one begins to wander in the wilderness, Jesus Himself will leave the 99 and go looking for the one. Wounded and hurting, broken and beaten, beaten, starving and thirsty, confused and disoriented, he sees the sheep lost in the wilderness. And the first thing, I I don't know about you, but the sheep that I've had, even the ones that were like super tame and would eat out of your hand, they weren't the easiest to catch. Even if you had food with you, you would go and try to find the sheep and go, I just want to do something nice for you. I don't have anything bad to say about you. And the sheep just kind of moved. That's because they're hesitant because they've been hurt so many times. We've had a lot of different dogs over the years and some of them just show up to our house and you can tell if a dog's ever been hit before. Because if you go to pet the dog and the dog goes, whoa, (laughs) the dog's probably been hit. This is how sheep are. This is how lost sheep are. When we tell them, listen, we love you. We want to point you to Christ. Jesus will save you. He'll forgive you. They're going, yeah, but I've been hit before, okay? 
I tried church one time and they just told me about everything I'd done wrong. I tried church one time and they just told me about all they'd done wrong. And the reality of it is, is church was never meant to stay inside this building. Church was meant to get built up in this building and bless God, leave this building and go find the one that's lost. Jesus is pursuing the sheep. He's looking, goes, there's a footprint, there's a footprint. He's seeing the footprints of the wolves and he might not even know it. The the, the wolves might have been kept at bay by that Galilean Savior while you were lost. Because sometimes Jesus has to stop what's trailing you before he finally gets to you. He walks through the wilderness, he finds the sheep, and he says, he says, sheep, and you and me, and everybody with a judgmental mind, if we weren't on the carnal side of it, we would begin to look and we would go, I can't believe you did that. Why'd you make that poor decision? I can't believe you would even consider that. But Jesus never does any of that. He walks up to the sheep, and the sheep begins to explain something. Jesus, you gotta understand, I didn't mean to turn left. I saw these clover and I went that way. And Jesus just going, wait, 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 wait. And he picks the wounded, harmed, hurting, scared, lost sheep up. And he places that sheep on his shoulder. And while the sheep is trying to explain every reason and every, I didn't mean to run away. I wasn't trying to. And the wolf came out and it was horrible. It was so dark. The, the sheep realizes all of a sudden Jesus has no interest in the story because he's too busy rejoicing that you've been found. He says he places the sheep on his shoulders and begins to rejoice. And I just wonder, why would he carry him? I think it's because he realizes when a sheep gets lost, a sheep comes back very tired. He said, you don't have to carry yourself. I'm here. He throws the sheep on his shoulders and he begins to walk back with a little skip in his step. He says, I've been looking for you for a long time. Oh, Jesus, I did some stuff. He goes, I know you did, but I want you to know I still love you. I'm just glad you're home. I'm glad you're back. And then they begin to get closer and closer to the house. They begin to get closer to the pen. And all of a sudden, the sheep begins to hear some stuff. And she goes, Jesus, you better slow down. I hear some noise. There might be a problem up there. Jesus says, there's no problem. It's a party. And the sheep says, I'm not dressed for a party. This is the only sweater I've got. And Jesus says, you don't understand. It's not just a party. It's a party for you. You see your brother-in-law over there? He's been praying for you. You see your mama over there? She's been praying for you. You see the person that's two desks down from you at work? He's been praying for you. And they're all They've all been waiting on this moment. I don't think so, Jesus. You haven't met my mom. Yes, I have. And I'm working on her too. (laughs) Jesus carries the sheep to the middle of the house, the middle of the room, to the middle of the stable. 
sets the lost sheep down. And he finishes the story by saying, not only am I rejoicing, but when one person comes home, they call their friends and their neighbors and said, rejoice for me, for I found my sheep that was lost. And I want you to know, verse 7, likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner. Everybody say one. One. Over one sinner that repents. More than over 99 just persons, people that don't need repentance. So consequently in this room right now, Jesus is pursuing you if you have run from him. Maybe it was a conscious decision. I'm not down with church. I'm not down with Jesus. Jesus is still down with you. Maybe it was an inadvertent decision. There was something that happened. A lot of times and most of the time when I talk to people who are far from God that have known him before... It's hard for them to put their finger on when it started slipping. You just, you just find it. And that's why they call it back slid. It's not like you step back. You just slid back. You don't even know when it started. But then you find yourself. It's like you wake up one day and you're like in the wilderness. You go, whoa, whoa, where, where's all the other sheep? Well, they're at New Heights Church, praise the Lord. then you start having this conversation in your head he won't take me back because I knew better I knew I shouldn't have done that (laughs) there's nothing further from the truth he'll pursue you to the ends of the earth and back and he'll leave all the others to find you this is what's going to happen next week Next week, there will be hundreds of lost sheep in this very room. And the power of the words that I'm saying now don't come because I have a gift of gab. They come because they come from God's holy Bible. And that word, the Bible says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. The original terminology is called diastomos. It literally means twice spoken. It's sharper than a twice spoken word. Because when the Bible is written, that's one. But when you say it, now it's a twice spoken word. When you leave here today and the ushers give you those cards, you're literally putting an opportunity at life everlasting in somebody's hand. I know at work, it's difficult timing and how do we share the whole gospel and uh, you know, you're, you're, you're having a, an encounter exchange somebody, it's hard to put it all into context, but sometimes you can just put it in somebody's hand because the church is God's rescue plan for humanity. It's the place where believers get together And we share from his book the truths that will set people free. 
know I had a few points today to make. I'll give you that first one again. Don't limit God. He's going to look for your family member or maybe for you until he finds you. But I'm only going to give one other point today. The Bible says in Romans 12, it says we're one body, but we're many members. In other words, you know, if, if I didn't have any hands, I wouldn't be able to hold this Bible or this book. It's not a Bible. This is my notebook. I wouldn't be able to hold this book. But if I didn't have feet, I wouldn't be able to stand here. So my hands aren't necessarily more important than my feet. My feet aren't more important than my hands. They're all worked together in one body. There's many members. In other words, you have to choose Jesus alone, but you were never called to live for him alone. That's what the church is for. The church is a place where when something great is going in your life, other believers will rejoice with you and thank God. The church is a place where when something goes to hell in a handbasket, man, we'll get together and cry with you. We're not a bunch of robots. We do live by faith. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We don't stay in that stuff. together. We'll cry together. We'll believe God together. If you get an attack on your physical body and your health, we'll believe God for your healing. We'll believe God for your family members. We'll believe God that He's going to do exactly what He said. Humanity has to choose God individually, but you were not called to live for Him alone. He said, the first thing I will do if there's one of mine that is far from these is I will bring them back into the fold because sheep are not meant to live by themselves. This is what the church is for. At New Heights Church, We connect two different ways. We connect through our first touch team. That's every volunteer. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. If you want to see God move in your life, you stop by the tent after service and get with one of our first touch team members and say, where can I help? You've you've never seen God move in your life until you see God move through serving. You do something for somebody else, God does it for you. The second way we connect is through our small groups. You can look at our website. They have different small groups. We have different small groups that meet throughout the city. That's because we're all in different stages of our faith walk. And sometimes we just need some truth built into our life. We just need some some word built into our life. We need somebody to pray with us. Or maybe you need to pray with somebody else. Sometimes the best way for you to receive from God is for you to make what you want to happen for you happen for somebody else. Why? The Bible says you reap what you sow. If you're needing some joy, I double dog dare you to smile at somebody on purpose. I dare you to call somebody and just say, man, can I just pray for you for like two minutes? If you've never prayed for two minutes, ten seconds. Praise the Lord. Began to connect in a way that the body was designed to connect. Because more important than anything else in God's holy Bible, the one thing that's on his mind more than anything else 
even when Jesus was being murdered, executed. Who does this? He looks up and says, Dad, forgive these people. They don't realize what they're doing. This is a level of love that can only be experienced when it is received most of the time through the conduit of someone who has received it previously. You tell your story about how God changed your life and watch God change those around you. Give God a hand of praise this morning. Could you stand to your feet, please? I'm going to ask you one more time to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today, it's the beginning of Holy Week. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you used to walk strong with Him but something happened and you backslid. When I count to three, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus today for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. Maybe that's you in the wilderness. You're far from God. But you hear your Savior behind you saying, come on, let's go home. Come on, let me carry you one more time. Nobody's looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, you've never said yes to Jesus. Or you need to rededicate your life. When I count to three, lift your hand. With an uplifted hand, you're saying, oh God, remember me. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Go into, go into Holy Week knowing where you stand with God. One, two, don't miss this opportunity. One, two, three, lift your hands. I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Is there anyone else? I'll tell you how you know. You know because there's a surety, there's a confidence that comes. So I'll ask it like this. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you certain you would be ushered swiftly into the arms of Jesus? Or are you unsure? Because I don't want you to leave unsure. The Bible says nobody is promised tomorrow. If that's you and you say, Preacher, I sense that, I feel that. Please include me in this prayer. Just lift your hand. One, two, three, lift it up. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand, praise the Lord. I see that hand, thank you, Jesus. What a great way to start off Holy Week. Now, if you lifted your hand or you wanted to, I see that hand, thank you. If you lifted your hand or you wanted to, Pray this prayer after me. Matter of fact, church, help us pray. Say this. Say, oh God, I come to you now and I ask you to save me. Write my name in your book. I believe Jesus lived and died for my victory. I'm a Christian now on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. We're proud of you. 
Make sure and be in the house of the Lord. If you haven't been baptized, text all in to 313131. Let's get you baptized. Don't forget your next step is our Unbroken Faith Discipleship Classes. Also, if there's anybody here that you know this is the church for you, you've never joined our church, but you know this is the house for you. If that's you, can you just lift your hand? I'm not going to call you the front. I'm just going to give you a big hand of praise. Lift your hand if that's you. Say, I want to join the church today. I don't see any hands. Guys, next week's Easter. Don't forget, this Wednesday is our first touch Wednesday. All our first touch team, be out here Wednesday night. We're going to have a great time. If this is your home church, please park in the street, if you don't mind, next weekend. It's going to be great for all the services, any of the services that you come to. It's going to be a powerful, powerful time. But there's nothing more important to God than people. Grab a handful of those cards. The ushers are going to be passing them out on your way out the door and be a blessing to somebody this year. Amen. Father, thank you for your blessing. Please bless your people coming in, going out in the city and the field this day and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info and be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.